the reason people move here is one of the reasons I moved here uh, was for the greater sense of permanence in place and we want to preserve and, and improve that um, while still fostering a growth environment. This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. I'd like to thank my patrons for supporting the show, especially the Marks family and Stephen Culp. If you're enjoying the show or the newsletter, I'd like to invite you to become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash chat civics. Thanks, Nathan, for this opportunity. My name is Eric Schmidt. I'm the director of sustainability with the city of Chattanooga in the city planning office. and uh, glad to be here to talk with you today. Thanks for being here. And uh, so we're here to talk about the climate action plan that's being proposed. As we're recording, it's going before a public presentation at city councils tonight and then a vote next week. That's correct? That's correct. Yep. On the March 28th. 28th. Yep. Um, so hopefully this episode will be out before the vote takes place and people have a chance to contact their representative and everything. But if you could just start by giving us a brief overview of the plan. Uh, from what I've read, there's there's four categories and six goals, and these are the kind of things that the city is really putting out there as the 10 main points, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and, and they're not terribly surprising uh, with, with everyday life. They're sort of apparent. Um, so the six goals, um, we start with a goal of um, equitably uh, implementing this plan uh, across the community that where we see disparities economically, socially, and otherwise uh, that translate into vulnerabilities for those communities uh, when they're put under additional stressors. Uh, so that's a top line item for us. The second goal, uh, which is uh, one of the primary drivers of this, and that's reaching carbon neutrality for the municipal government operations by 2040. Uh, and we're going to strive to achieve a carbon neutral uh, uh, existence by 2050 on a community-wide basis. Um, the following goal is a sort of similar, uh, similarly f uh, framed up uh, goal, which is a zero waste community um, by 2050 uh, and zero waste municipal operations by 2040. Uh, the fourth goal is just to build a more sustainably designed city, so more walking, biking, uh, interconnected multimodal transportation options, um, if, as well as improvement of systems for single vehicle uh, uh, transportation as well, um, just doing all of that better. Uh, anything from that to hubs and corridors, how we design and, and build larger communities, um, so that's, that's the theme of that. Uh, the fifth is uh, preserving and improving the natural resource integrity of the surrounding area. It's part and parcel and the, you know, one of the biggest identification things for Chattanooga. It's the greatest outdoor city in America. Um, and then lastly, um, which is also very much a, a, a current theme across the country and the world, which is being a leader in the green economy, uh, we're perfectly poised to um, take advantage of that. We already have a, a, a lot of anchor uh, uh, business here, um, and there's continuing to be more interest uh, every day in Chattanooga uh, as people explore where they want to put down their headquarters, and so we want to be that place for them. 
Awesome. Well, I want to start out with kind of a really broad overview yep. and talk about how this plan was written. Yep. You know, who was in the room? How was impact, input and feedback taken into account? Because this is going to take, I mean, the one thing that jumps out to me almost immediately is net zero carbon emissions. Even just for city operations, that's a huge, huge goal it that's is. going to take multi-departmental coordination. And so walk us through this process, how this plan was put together and who was in the room. Sure. Um, I would say this, it's, it's hard to, to really nail that down in practical terms. Um, there have been uh, conversations since the, um, the late 60s, early 70s in terms of Chattanooga's um, sort of rebirth and reinvention of itself coming out of the, the steel industry. Uh, prior to air quality controls and water quality controls that um, really um, erased Chattanooga's beauty from vision. Uh, and so all the, the uh, community leaders that came together to, to reestablish uh, a new Chattanooga, I just, you can't have this interview without mentioning that in my mind, um, to, it takes decades of collaboration and cooperation and vision to get us things like the riverfront and the uh, the Chattanooga River Park, South Chickamauga Greenway, all that kind of thing. So just giving recognition to that. Um, in uh, 2009, the city came out with a climate action plan under uh, Mayor Littlefield's administration, did a greenhouse gas inventory back then. Um, and a recap of that later on showed that, you know, 90 plus percent of those action items were, were addressed in some form or fashion. So fast forward 10 years where there were some steps along the way, um, uh, uh, a, a, a 2012 uh, executive order we'll talk a little bit about later, um, uh, to um, Mayor Burke's administration joining the Better Buildings Challenge with the United States Department of Energy. Um, providing some continuity and uh, background to, to invest in some projects um, that helped move the needle forward or backward, I guess it would be, for greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and then, um, notably, uh, Green Spaces uh, uh, received a grant to um, uh, develop an integrated community sustainability plan. Uh, around the same time that the city was also developing a regional resilience uh, plan or report. Um, one of the things that, uh, that spurred this were the, the wildfires in 2017. In 2019, we had double the amount of statistical 90 plus degree days. We had 95 as opposed to 47. Um, we had a drought, we had a water main break that happened to be on the hottest day of the year, 103 degrees. The first three days were of October in 2019 were 100, 199. So in a town where uh, the seasons are one of the most <laughs> enjoyable thing you can have here, seeing those things change prompted a lot of action. So, but just in practical terms, both the, the regional resilience plan, which uh, was assisted with a consultant, and uh, stakeholders leadership from the airport to TVA to national parks uh, to our own operations that that was a big process to, to neighborhood leaders that 
informed a lot of that process. Green Spaces process had over 100 contributors from, uh, I believe it was over 20 or maybe 50 organizations, um, and a lot of sort of boots on the ground people from professional practitioners to neighborhood leaders and things like that. All of those things, the reason I mentioned them is that they informed this plan. Um, so when we started this up again uh, about a year ago, it was really, um, an amalgam of all those things, then taking those plans and started to translate those into what that might look like from a practical city operations standpoint. And so as we built out a framework of goal strategies and tactics, then we shot that around with our department heads to, to get feedback from staff, started receiving those and incorporating those. Um, and so as we were refining that and, and shopping that out at the same time, uh, the mayor's office was able to share that with EPB and TVA and get some gut check and, and initial feedback and where we were headed with this. Um, then in October, uh, the city hosted a National Science Foundation funded climate adaptation workshop. Um, and from that, we took over 20 specific recommendations and some of that, um, and with feedback, we started to incorporate more community elements. So from a community resilience standpoint and more of the equity, um, disaster response plans, things like that. Um, I think it's been said and I, I can concur. This is, you know, a, a plan has a begin, middle and end and steps and funding and those kinds of things. This is a framework for identification of the many challenges that we see, whether it's restoring recreational use of our, you know, uh, primary tributaries to the Tennessee River, um, making sure we're a zero extinction zone, uh, protecting our, our natural landscape and hills and slopes, and um, just the, the quality of life and the integrity of the resources that we have a nice balance here uh, that we uh, we are certainly enjoying a lot of growth, um, but at the same time, when you look at big cities like Houston and Atlanta, there's often not a lot of regard. It's it's an afterthought. Tear everything down, build something, plant a few trees, come back and go, oh, okay. But the reason people move here is one of the reasons I moved here uh, was for the greater sense of permanence in place, and we want to preserve and, and improve that um, while still fostering a growth environment and in, in our economy uh, and elsewhere so um, uh, that's that is kind of the process so we had the climate adaptation workshop and then in january uh, we also uh, with green spaces help uh, hosted a a public input session sharing the broader framework of the goals um, and uh, uh, fortunately had multiple dense pages of notes from that uh, and and really just about everything was captured already in the plan so we felt good we got great uh, feedback from that from the participants and folks at green spaces about knowing that that those concerns are addressed in some way in the plan and so you know when it comes down to specific language in the the strategies and tactics all of this is meant to be a, a framework and starting point. It's an acknowledgement of where we have been, where we are now, and where we'd like to go. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're very much um, going to lean into com further community involvement and a feedback process and loop to where not only are we reporting out our progress, but 
leaning into the community, Mayor Kelly said, we want to do something that the city can't do on its own, and that whether that's uh, affordable housing or, or, or uh, the, the goals that are outlined in the plan, we know that we can only have so much impact, uh, an important role in that, but certainly not without the help and participation of our, of our community. Mm-hmm. Hope that answered that. It does, yeah. So you've touched on this a little bit, but I want to dive into it. How is this plan actually going to be implemented? And I guess we should step back sure. and, and reiterate what we said at the top of the episode, um, that this plan hasn't been voted on by the city council yet. That's correct. But for the sake of the conversation, let's just assume the plan is is adopted and we're moving forward with it. How will it be implemented? Is there going to be an overarching framework or a single department that's in charge of, of making sure all these steps get implemented? Or does it go out to each department and they decide the best way to implement the plan based on their own operations? That's a great question. Um, certainly city planning will be a large part of establishing an internal implementation team that really will mirror uh, the mayor's cabinet and our de- department administrator's structure. And so we've got to have that leadership from the top, which we certainly have and are very grateful for um, the mayor's office advocating for this, uh, supporting this, um, and and already um, working with departments in different ways as for with sustainability being an, an overriding current um, in operations. But specifically, we need to have representation in each department and division so that they can internalize this plan and and dovetail efforts that are either underway or in planning um, that can inform and roll up um, a, a report out with various, you know, develop the, the appropriate KPIs that, that correlate to the strategies and tactics. Um, and also plan for this thing from a timing standpoint. We, we realize certainly there is a lot in the plan um, and we can't do everything at once. You know, um, uh, budget is something that really comes to mind with for a lot of folks. Um, the goals are 2040 and 50, so we do have some time there. Um, and I think it's just really important to underscore that there are a lot of things that you can do that don't require additional money. You can just do things a little bit differently. Um, uh, obviously, with electrification of vehicles coming on, that's something that you can do that has a, a lower life cycle operating cost. Um, even looking at heavy-duty vehicles, looking at alternative fuels like compressed natural gas or renewable natural gas, those fuel costs could be 50% of what diesel is traditionally. So. Um, the, the short answer is that we have to build out what that entire reporting system looks like. All of that will ultimately be given a framework uh, when we commission a greenhouse gas inventory. Uh, Green Spaces did a community-based one for calendar year 2018, I think it was. Their plan was 2019. Ours was 2008. And so we need a one that's very specific to the municipal operations and has all those inputs, but also builds on the community one that green spaces did gets a sense of 
where we are, once again, reestablish that baseline, then also establish a carbon drawdown analysis. What is the, what is the lowest hanging fruit? What are, the, what are the biggest pieces? We know that's, and that's a little bit where you get some of the framework in the large four focus areas of transportation, buildings, and waste. Uh, green spaces and waterways and jobs and opportunity, that's kind of the lived experience. But transportation and buildings are really the primary drivers, 80 plus percent of our carbon mm -hmm. footprint. So, um, so, but within that greenhouse gas inventory, that will help us categorize where we can move and, and report up, basically establish those KPIs. Um, uh, so that really was just the internal side of things. The external is um, establishing some sort of forward-facing climate sustainability and resilience committee. Um, and we're talking about what that can look like right now, but that is really gonna look like leadership across the various sectors of, of, of Chattanooga. So everything from people and neighborhoods to hopefully the chamber and our utilities, um, tourism, all of those things that have a stake and an ability to affect um, this process. We want that to be sort of the hierarchy of that. And then the reality is with all these goal strategies and tactics, we're gonna need to have some subcommittees. Uh, so it, it, I think it looks like having a very active uh, dialogue with the community mm -hmm. and, and we will refine the report outs as we, as we engage over the years. So I want to dive into the goals themselves mm -hmm. and kind of take them one at a time and, okay. and maybe we can get into what departments might be more involved with some goals than with others. Sure. Uh, so we'll start with the first one, which is reducing disparities among vulnerable communities. And so I guess let's just start by kind of defining terms. What, what disparities are we talking about and how are they going to be measured to ensure progress? Sure. Um, well, unfortunately, we don't have a shortage of things to choose from. So um, in Chattanooga, so close to 40% of the population is, is economically distressed. Um, uh, um, around 30% in the, in the poverty range. And with that come uh, the, all the other inequities, which is either lack of access to healthcare, transportation, education, uh, older housing stock. So um, the kinds of things that um, impact health through there, there's been some really good initial exploratory work and connections made from anybody um, from green spaces to the enterprise center to UTC's um, uh, uh, community health um, to the, the mayor's office, uh, having Dr. Lambert um, overseeing community health. So there are an array of issues there. Um, so it's, it's economic, it's social. Um, when you're in that position, you don't have the tools and resources to be prepared to prepare yourself for job applications and certain skill sets um, and, and just getting there in the first place. So there's, there's an array of work there. Um, we also know that because of all those things, when you have a stressor event, whether it's extreme heat or extreme cold or flooding, um, people in uh, disinvested neighborhoods are uh, more, uh, uh, acutely affected by those things and so the recovery of those things is also harder um, they're often um, the, the communication networks often are not what they need to be to where you can lean on a neighbor um, when that neighbor is needing to lean on somebody too uh, it, it, it doesn't go far and so what we can do is help to 
work across the board community organizations within our own ranks to identify where we can shore those things up and start to plan for those things. Some, some things will be known everyday aspects of life and then other things are going to be harder to you know just have a flexible plan to stand up and in the event of an emergency you know say a weather related response Mm -hmm. um what happens if the tornado that hit east east uh east brainerd eastern side of chattanooga happened in the downtown area it would be devastating um the support systems might not be there to help folks with that um and so uh, we, we need to take a hard look at those kinds of things. So I'm guessing when we're talking about this goal, what, what departments come to top of mind in terms of who's going to be leading up that effort? I, I think it'll be a combination of um, the mayor's office for representatives, but also uh, community uh, development and economic mm-hmm. development. And so economic development handles our, um, a lot of our federal HUD uh, and community block grant programs. Um, uh, community development handles a lot of the programming at our community centers, which can, you know, in the right locations be stood up as resilience hubs, um, whether it's having 24-7 power supply and or um, planned access to resources if it's fresh water, food, et cetera, things like that. Um, so that's that's part of it. That's sort of the human interface side of it. And then there's other things. Public works as does so much more than what we see on citywide services when they pick up our our garbage and recycling and and brush and things like that just about any project whether it's uh the police department or a community development center it goes through public works our design group is there and they we're extremely fortunate to have them uh and 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 sort through the 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 logistics of of our challenges Mm -hmm. they're really just uh, pros at that, and so um, those will. Um, it's it's it's. I guess you could say that it is as much. The touch points will be more concrete with certain departments, but just about any department the city has is going to have a role. Um, you know, as as the city is upgrading pump stations in, in different neighborhoods. Uh, we're looking to do all of that as equitably as possible to make sure that we're not having any 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 unintended consequence of not giving the proper attention across the board. So I want to move on to the second goal. And this, this is the one that really caught my eye when I first read through the plan is net zero carbon emissions for city operations by 2040 and for the entire city by 2050. Yeah. So I guess we'll start by asking what are some of the tools that are going to be used to make the city operations net zero? Yeah. Um, a few things. Um, so to, to go up a level, just and this is reflected in um, the the findings of um, of Green Spaces uh, greenhouse gas inventory. Um, one of the largest carbon reductions we've seen across the community is due to uh, the change in generation portfolio that TVA provides. Um, so converting uh, uh, coal power plants to natural gas or otherwise significantly reduced. They've reduced their carbon footprint 70-ish percent. They are 60% carbon free. So those um, those those tier two uh, emissions are 
handled in large part uh, there. Um, so the other things that we can do, uh, in addition to partnering with them on things like the TVA Green Invest Program that we're going to take a look at where they aggregate projects. And while they not, may not be in your immediate service territory of your local power company distributing it, it's a regional improvement, greening of the grid. Uh, the more you put on the grid that is green, doesn't have to be replaced with something else. Uh, but then from a local standpoint, uh, from a facilities uh, perspective, what we will do um, is, is do a portfolio-wide assessment of energy efficiency and host site suitability uh, for solar uh, study. And uh, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. It doesn't have to go on years and years. We realize time's of the essence on this stuff, so we need to move as quickly as we can in figuring out what the roadmap is and, and fill in the details on those things. Um, but um, what I can say is that uh, sort of based on the progress to date, that it, it, while it sounds like such an incredibly challenging thing to reach zero, um, that there are things that are in front of us that we can do and that we've already done. So the city has reduced its raw electric purchase from EPB and ultimately from TVA by 25% since 2012. That's 25 gigawatt hours per year, which is the the equivalent of about 1,700 average Tennessee homes and what they consume in a year. Um, and that that's, that statistic is cited from the Energy Information Administration. Um, so we've gone from 100 gigawatt hours to 75 gigawatt hours. The uh, one of the one of the strategies in the plan is for the regional uh, wastewater treatment facility, otherwise known as Moxon Bend Environmental Campus. Um, they've been a leader in this space. They've reduced their their share of the uh, total power consumption, which is about 55%, so a little more than half of the municipal use. Um, They've already reduced theirs by 30%, um, largely in part by energy efficiency and just right-sizing the operations that are there. It was established in the early 70s, so plenty of things to do there, but uh, double-digit reductions, and then there's a 4-megawatt solar array that is behind the meter that knocked off another 12 to 13%. Um, that's all behind the meter, saving us over $400,000 a year in avoided retail costs um, on that. Um, we have an opportunity to capture a gas that's produced by biosolids and, and put that back into the plant. That the, the strategy overall is to be a self-reliant, um, from an energy perspective, campus, which is a very big deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, from a city buildings perspective, um, we're closer to 20% in reduction, and we've done that through a variety of tactics. Um, there's an EPA uh, building upgrade manual, and you, you know you start with retro commissioning. You get make sure your heavy equipment's working right. You you uh, benchmark and with against your baseline. Um, LED lighting is a is a is one that we've done. We've done over 60 facilities. We did a 60 plus facility LED re lighting retrofit. Um, there are building automation controls to turn the heavy systems off when we're not here, which makes sense. Why would we run things 24 seven? Um, and then you dial down from that. The heavy equipment stuff comes later. You don't get a, a return very well on those things. They're expensive, and sometimes the efficiencies are, are more gradual than, than the stark things like LED lighting. Um, and then building envelope. Beyond dealing with our existing buildings, 
we want to move towards designing net zero buildings, which are going to basically offset any amount of electricity that or power that they use. Uh, Green Spaces did a net zero homes program that demonstrated that you can, if you design a building right, you can seal it up right, have uh, um, use efficient equipment, and then offset with some host site solar you can get very close to, to net zero. So it can be done, and, and I think they've demonstrated that you can <clears throat> do that at, at not a cost to yourself. Um, so that's that's part of the, the scheme of, of looking at our existing buildings. The other big one is, is obviously uh, decarbonization of our fleet. Um, and so uh, we're gonna be looking really closely at a, an electrification plan for our light duty fleet. Um, obviously, a lot more products are coming online, which makes that a whole lot easier. Um, working with EPB on having a strategic uh, electric vehicle charging network, that's not germane to uh, city operations, but uh, to encourage growth within the community. So looking at our um, zoning and codes to uh, basically uh, um, <clears throat> doing what we can to encourage the uptake of electric vehicles in the in the in the public space um, and again from the the medium and heavy duty vehicles our, our refuse trucks things like that heavier equipment they use diesel we need to make sure uh, we work with fleet to, to to see to make sure that they're comfortable with the technologies that are available um, and explore things like uh, compressed natural gas renewable natural gas that we might source from the moxit ben plant um, until the heavy and medium duty electrified sector matures. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's really, really expensive, mm -hmm. uh, close to double what it costs to buy a diesel truck to buy an all electric. Mm -hmm. And so, um, on the on the order that we do, that is that's not an economically viable thing to do and a fiscally responsible thing to do uh, with taxpayer dollars just yet. So, um, but we'll obviously keep close tabs on that. Um, that's a lot of stuff, so um, I can pause there if you have any other uh, questions on. I guess I have a, a more step back question sure. for a second and define net zero. Okay. Um, and, and maybe we're not at that point yet where we've really coalesced around a single definition, but I, I'm hearing all of these things, uh, which are all great, sure. but wondering when we're talking about net zero, are we talking about zero point source emissions within the city or are we talking about you know embodied carbon you know manufacturing batteries and building materials and solar panels all of that takes energy and carbon that's harder to account for yeah. i mean it's harder yeah. to say we're net zero including yeah. embodied carbon but yeah. i'm just wondering how is this planned it's targeting it's, sure um i i think that it starts with um sort of the tailpipe approach mm -hmm. um and as we get further into this um refining and refining how we can further reduce our supply chain uh impacts that's another thing that we'll look at is working with our purchasing division and finance to source as many products as we can that are you know responsibly environmentally sustainably sourced uh, with a lower carbon uh, footprint um, but we realize that you know some of the challenges is okay. Well, um, one solution uh, may appear as something; it might have an inherent impact. Um, I, I think that um, the data shows that 
Um, you know, it's easy to say, well, we only have to mine batteries and things like that. Well, we, we mine for fossil fuels. <laughs> right. It might be a more distant impact uh, that you don't see, um, but you can, you don't have to look too far back with, you know, the BP oil spill and things like mm -hmm. that. There are, there are a lot of consequences that come with different, with, with different products. And so we will certainly keep an eye on that. I think that it, the recurring, the whole thing about the inventory uh, the greenhouse gas inventory is at a minimum it will be every two years and so working with a global reporting framework uh, i don't think i mentioned that but the ICLE cdp carbon disclosure project they have teamed with ICLE, which is sort of the, the vanguard i think of greenhouse gas inventory and so when we look at scopes one two and three mm -hmm. um then we'll be able to better inform ourselves we're not there honestly we we are we that's part of this this plan is be a catalyst for digging into those impacts uh, more clearly, so um, we will we will inform ourselves and inform our partners and um, and continue to look for those things. I think also so as much as possible on the front end, um, you know it, the direct emissions relationship, you know to vehicles is a, is just an easy example. When we look at at CNG, <clears throat> it's it's at least a twenty percent um, greenhouse gas reduction from diesel mm -hmm. if you are sourcing renewable natural gas which we essentially have on a, a daily feedstock at the moxon ben plant um, you're looking at closer to a 70 percent greenhouse gas uh, impact which is gets you pretty close to an electric vehicle um, so um, but the, the the immediate impact of that is that the trucks that are running through all of our neighborhoods that might already have uh, other social determinants of health that are working against them. That's one less thing. So uh, that's running through and emitting uh, um, diesel particulates and uh, nitrous oxide, those things. Um, the other is the the you know I, I I've heard from some advocates that that they see a lot of metals and wire and things like that when it comes to you know um, uh, built solutions. Uh, I think I try to address it, but that the the quality of life here so much is inextricably tied to our natural environment. There's a certain carbon sequestration capability there, but um, you know the Tennessee River Gorge Trust, for example, has the Appalachian Carbon Exchange that they're standing up, and that is not about. Um, just getting points for things that you've already done it's sort of like the state has a no net loss on its wetlands um the idea is not to just say hey we've got all these trees we're good right no so they are doing a really i think a rigorous process of identifying plots that can be restored and enhanced and and capturing uh things there so i think we want to look at options like that mm -hmm. that can help us we need to you know my thinking, my degree is in biology, and so ironically ended up dealing with a lot of energy-related stuff. Um, but that, that's, I think, why I don't see the, the, uh, the built environment solutions as the be-all, end-all, um, uh, you know, in a perfect unscathed world, you know, everything's just clicking along, nature's doing its thing. So we need to go to the source as much as possible and not really kind of wash over um, where we can make those improvements. Um, so I know I've kind of gone over a few things there, so mm -hmm. um, uh, you can reel me back in. But that's, um, so it's, it's going to be a combination basically of just, um, of of those those point source kind of things uh and then also as we uh have the 
luxury, I guess. Uh, you know, we want to we want to mitigate as much as possible on the mm-hmm. front end and broader broader strokes, and then as we can refine and improve, where our product sourcing and things like that are. Uh, dig into that right and offset right. that yeah that makes sense and i mean the reason i ask you know there is a a movement to kind of downplay electric vehicles because mm-hmm. the battery mining and, right. and all this stuff and it is an issue that yeah, needs sure. to be addressed Absolutely. but in my mind it's more those kind of edge cases of do you replace a fairly new gas vehicle with a new electric vehicle because now you're talking about not using a resource that's already been built and replacing it with one that requires more energy to build. And so it's, if you're talking about replacing an old vehicle with a new electric vehicle, that that's a no brainer in my opinion, but Mm -hmm. those edge cases get a little weird. So it sounds like that'll be something that's updated as you go along. I'm actually glad you made that point because, um, as, as I've been in this role for a little more, more than eight years now and um, going from, you know, an ecologist and NEPA person and, and, and getting further ingrained in this. <clears throat> These problems didn't arise overnight. The technologies that allowed us to, to build our society didn't happen overnight mm-hmm. and the improvements that are happening are not happening overnight. Um, you, you know, it's... Um, you don't. I think it's a great point about not um, throwing out that that all that embedded impact that still has some benefit. That's still better than what the the internal combustion engine that came before it had. Um, so that's why you know talking about like CNG for example. I think it's important. It's not move once on one thing. The consistency, uh, doing things year over year over year, mm-hmm. and doing it gradually, so it doesn't. So you don't feel the impact on your bottom line. Um, you're not paying for R and D on your own operations. Um, uh, you're allowing those those products in the in the market to mature. Um, you're waiting for the right time uh, and and replacing. So the 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 idea again is just get these sustainable concepts uh, rolled into the regular replacement cycle of whether it's a facility or, or fleet um, and to do it better and different uh, mm-hmm. the next go around. And so uh, I just think that's a really good point uh, and cert- something that we will, you know, we even currently, we, the city really tries to extend the life of anything that we use from furniture to electronics as long as possible and certainly our fleet. So um, those things we, we have on hand for a long time, uh, but it, that's not to say we're going to wait for those things to really cycle out. We've got right. to, we've got to get on it now. And so, uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't a problem or a challenge that any one administration is going to handle in, in eight years. And so, um, you know, we've, we've got to have the, that consistency. And I hope that with this plan, we will be able to integrate that into the fabric of, of everything that we do in a way that has lasting impact. And I, I believe the time's right. I think the community's ready for it. I think we're ready for it. And so I'm excited to, to see where we take it. So I want to shift from talking about the public side because obviously the the city government can control what it spends money on its equipment its buildings and it seems to me like 2040 net zero carbon for city operations is an achievable goal it's it's a big goal certainly but it seems like something can be that can be done and and can be moved forward but i want to move on to net zero community-wide by 2050 and 
talk about some of the ways that might happen because now you're dealing with 160,000 people, give right. or take, all right. yeah. that are all making their own decisions. Right. And so what kind of opportunities will be put in place? What kind of tools will be made available? And, and how will people be convinced, I guess? It's not just a, a technical battle now as it is on the city end, but it's, it's a technical and, and almost a cultural battle. It is. Um, you know, I, I look, we live in a home that's, that was built 100 years ago in 1923, and we've done our best to upgrade our HVAC and, and our windows, and I've got an insulation product. There's kind of nothing, you know, there's, everybody's always got something to do. And to, and to um, build that into um, when you look at, at um, folks that are economically distressed and, um, and just trying to just trying to get their family ahead um, that that point certainly not lost um, and and I don't want to put the answer off to um, you know certainly the 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 macro systems that we all rely on whether it's the power the TVA produces or the the vehicles that Ford and GM make or Volkswagen those will certainly have a big impact and when you have manufacturers uh, with goals of being completely electrified by 2035, that will—that's halfway to the goal point, and um, that will have an impact. But that you have a vehicle, same thing. What? Well, I just bought this car. Why would I turn it in? You know, I've got—I've had it for two years. I, I'm, we have a car. Um, my son drives our 2001 Honda CRV. So, um, you know, uh, keep it tuned up as best we can. But uh, um, so. I think that will be choices. I think from I think part of the importance of the city doing a climate action plan and and it imploring us to change the way we do business is to create an example that can be followed. If you know government um, can get a get a tough rap sometimes for not being flexible and adaptable, and and I think that's I think I think the city of Chattanooga government, to be clear, uh, is. It has done an amazing uh, job of the last several decades of, of being more fluid. Um, and so s setting the tone, setting the, the bar, uh, proving by example that those things can be adopted over time. Um, and so, um, but also creating those opportunities where we're reducing uh, uh, we're doing congestion mitigation with our, you know, the MLK Smart Corridor and integrating signalized intersections so that traffic flows more smoothly based on uh, uh, sensors that they have and other things. Um, one thing I want to make just clear, uh, because it does come up, is there's nothing in this plan that is a mandate for anybody. There are no, there, there is no... There is no mandate and there is no monitoring of any individual family, business, church, uh, community, what have you. This is, this is all voluntary. Um, it's in the spirit of, of our, uh, uh, you know, maintaining quality of life, our economic prosperity, all of those things. Uh, we just happen to recognize that Chattanooga, among every other place, but particularly us, our, our brand and lifestyle is very much tied to the well-being of our natural environment. And so... Um, even if you're just a passive enjoyer of those things, we want that to be available for anybody. Um, so, in, but with the specifics, um, we'll, I think, try to do our best to do education and outreach. Um, you know, there's already things like EPB's free home energy checkups that they can do 
uh, and they give you suggestions and ways to do things. Uh, TVA has the Energy Right program where you can take advantage of different incentives. Um, obviously, um, with bipartisan infrastructure law and some other things from the federal government, there's going to be some incentives there uh, to do some upgrades if you've been on the fence about doing those. So <clears throat> we, it's going to have to be a pretty shotgun approach of just as doing as much by example, making things easier for people and, and creating education and awareness around mm -hmm. that um, to, to just put those solutions in the hands of folks. And, and one thing that comes to mind there, I guess the biggest impact that government can have on private individuals is, is usually in transportation, mm -hmm. it seems to me, just because transportation, it, it's that kind of nexus of mm -hmm. public and private. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a public road, but private individuals are using it. Mm -hmm. um, has there been much specificity in how the transportation sector in particular is going to be handled if this plan goes through? Um, so one thing to be aware of, um, there is, in as much as we are all sort of lining up on the starting line together, I'll mm -hmm. say that. Um, uh, so, you know, CARTA has already been doing a lot in terms of um, uh, forging a path in electrification of its, of its large buses, having an electric shuttle downtown, did a pilot program called Green Commuter. Um, that was a car, car share opportunity um, that um, with with electric vehicles that um, it helped, if nothing else, put out an array of additional charging stations. Um, they're looking at um, how they uh, uh, build routes and serve the community, looking at different options to 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 be to be agile. Um, then, from the built environment standpoint. I was, I was mentioning traffic signalization, working closely with EPB and UTC on having a more dynamic and responsive system. Um, there's public safety uh, aspects to that. So um, uh, there are opportunities to combine air quality monitoring with traffic monitoring and traffic uh, uh, redirection uh, to, to help in that capacity. Um, just how we design and build roads within our communities is another piece of it. Having multimodal options, do you do you have certain things that that allow for uh, the free flow of traffic, but also choice? Um, and then the last thing I would mention is our transportation planning organization um, has federal reporting requirements, and that's this week having active conversations about how we make sure that we dovetail our greenhouse gas inventory scope to make sure that we're also allowing for the necessary capture of data and planning uh, that satisfies the carbon reduction plans that are going to be required from the Federal Highways Administration. And so um, luckily we've got pros in that shop that can help guide our long-term development. And so to basically create the space, because I think at the end of the day, I've said this um, to a few folks is hopefully you don't notice hardly anything other than the benefits you know there is no intention to have a hardship like oh no you can't have that thing you know that's just <clears throat> it that those kinds of uh self-restricting modes um just it's hard enough we've all got our daily lives to get on with and we are using the tools that are put in front of us the therm the things that we buy and so 
it 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 does recycling is another example of that we have to make that system easy enough and it's not just how we collect it and distribute it it's what is the uptake of those materials how are they getting repurposed to other materials because if you're guilt tripping yourself into w figuring out which hole you're supposed to put you know an object in is not going to win the solution we have um <clears throat> I, I it's a it's a dismal statistic but um, the amount of plastic manufacturing uh, uh, plants that are being built at this moment to to build to generate more plastic products completely offsets the amount of, of uh, coal-based uh, energy plants that have been offline globally. So if you think about that, so much plastic is being made that it's offsetting the carbon reduction gains by offlining coal plants. That's that's a lot. That's a system that's out of our hands. So we want to do everything that we can locally to 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 make things easier for people and just get on with life. Yeah, and that that's a good segue into the third goal. I think we'll have to run through these next couple ones pretty quickly. I'm yeah. glad we spent as much time as we did on the net zero carbon because I do think that is kind of the it's a driver of everything come flows big, down from that. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. it's the big sign at the end of the tunnel. Like this yeah. is the, the big goal. Yep. Um, but the next one is, is related. And, yep. and like you said, yep. net zero waste. Yep. Talking about all the plastic, uh, especially as we move into an era where people are getting more and more things delivered. You know, you order a T-shirt and it used to be something you picked up off the rack and you took it home. Yeah. And now you order a T-shirt and it arrives in three layers of plastic and a cardboard box. Right. Um, Once so again, what things is out of your control? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so what is the city going to be doing for their own waste streams? And then how is the city going to make it easier for citizens to be zero waste? Yeah. So we are um, we're going to do everything we can to encourage. You know, it's 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 an old adage, but the reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, there is. Um, that one education reduce as much as you can re uh, reuse as much as you can um, you know we have a company called iFixit that's coming here that's setting up shop that is um, that's able to be here um, that a they are attracted to Chattanooga because of of, of our ethos here um, of our sustainability ethos um, they're gonna have uh, I, I believe ultimately a couple hundred employees and the whole purpose there is uh, um, facilitating the repair of equipment, whatever you have. Um, so designing the, the, the manuals to um, f facilitating parts that are needed for those things. <clears throat> That's just an example. So, but from the waste side, we're talking with a couple of people about um, you know, as, as you might have seen, we actually have the, the hefty bag program, which is trying to find hard homes for hard to recycle plastics three through seven. We aggregate those and then they take those and uh, and work with partners to create um, products that are made out of those things. So it could be park benches or pavers and things like that. Um, it, the recycling industry is in addition to that's the mechanical recycling it's the uh chemical recycling uh is sector is going to really have to mature because you know recycle a plastic bottle once or twice and it's done it doesn't have a, it's not like aluminum or paper sort of an infinite recycling opportunity um 
so we are going to have to uh, attract uh, businesses that can help us deal with those things. We're not unlike any other city in terms of what we use. Um, we do a pretty, you know, comparatively good job where we have recycling options at no cost to the city outside of what's included in their tax. Um, uh, that we are talking uh, and, and need to get input from people from in the uh, other built environment. So demolition of building and holding on to. Uh, reusable materials and so that's also actually kind of ties into the character of Chattanooga the this the steel beams the wood beams the brick all those kinds of things uh, repurposing that as much as possible um, I'm trying to think of a few others it's I, again being having lived in a couple other big cities it's it's kind of incredible that you can put whatever brush out on your curbside and then go to the wood recycling center and I've probably put down uh, 20,000 pounds of <laughs> reused wood mulch that gets mulched right there at the wood recycling center. So um, thinking about that, uh, just doing more in education. You know, one of the things that um, we don't want folks to do is put their plastic bags or bag up their recyclables in their in their recycling carts. By all means, take your plastic bags to the grocery store and put them in the containers in the front there. But please don't put them in the in the in the recycling bin. Recycling is all ultimately a business. I'll I'll just say because it, and it's based on the commodity, which is what they collect. Mm -hmm. And so it, the the condition of that commodity helps translate to a better uptake of those materials so um, that's my pitch on that but one thing I'll just say is I think the solutions that we need for zero waste aren't here yet and we're gonna have to uh, uh, encourage incentivize uh, the development of uh, the uptake market and 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 technologies and hopefully we'll be a place that can that, that can encourage and grow that here in Chattanooga mm -hmm. So let's move on to the fourth goal. Chattanooga will build a more sustainable city. Yeah. Um, that one was interesting to me because that that's, that's pretty open-ended. So what is the intent of that goal? What does that entail with regards to this plan and, and what it means for the city moving forward? Yeah, and, and I think also to be clear, certain people want um, their neighborhoods to look different in certain places. And so it is it is a... I would say a more interconnected, on the whole, a more interconnected community with access to uh, greenways, sidewalks, all the kinds of amenities that are sort of perks and high-end neighborhoods, but that um, aren't traditionally available to people or with the way uh, um, uh, development has sort of taken course on kind of mega lane, you know, corridors where you might get hit running across the street or doing a uh, just using a crosswalk doing it the way you should do it um, we want to have uh, people that have it's a balance it's all in my mind it's a balance it's a balance of usability of of those resources having um, green spaces still intact um, we know that that improves property values long term um, uh, that was, it was, it, you know, again, I'm from Houston, kind of a slash and burn, no zoning and codes. And so the quality of life that you might move there for doesn't exist after a few years because the things that you move there for are no longer there. So, um, so it's, it's, um, it's, it's an accessible, uh, um, set of, uh, criteria that, um, you, you know, and I don't want to give it a name, um, that, 
that um, that people might associate with any anything in particular. You want to have the choice to be able to do what you want to do in um, in, in terms of how your your community set up, but. Um, it's it's a preservation of what we have, and it's a, an enhancement of those other resources, whether it's transportation, uh, uh, proximity to every, your everyday needs, um, and so a lot of that um, is a is a hub and corridor sort of approach. So goal number five that dovetails pretty well. Chattanooga will preserve and improve natural resource integrity. Uh, if you could just highlight a few of the key resources that were in mind when the plan was written, and what the city is going to be doing to improve those resources or protect those resources? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think um, a, a, a quick and easy way to do that is terrestri terrestrial versus aquatic. Uh, the air quality is obviously an inherent piece of that. And the there's not a lot of design and planning other than, you know, the, the resources that you use, the vehicles that you drive, how you move traffic, um, and, and the amount of energy, that's why another reason why energy is important because ultimately that's got to come from somewhere. So, um, but um, so our tributaries, just in any urban environment, um, you know, uh, either minimization of, of uh, vegetated buffers on streams. Uh, we've got to remember the, 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 the crown jewel of Chattanooga is the Tennessee River. The Tennessee River doesn't, it's not a magical thing that comes out of nowhere. You know, uh, rivers are, are formed by tributaries that, that accumulate. And so the quality of that river is inextricably tied to the major tributaries that we've got. So North Chickamauga Creek, South Chickamauga Creek, uh, Sitico Creek, Chattanooga Creek, Lookout Creek. All of those have been impacted in, in some form or another. And a lot of the times that you can sort of make a general association of that water body's uh, uh, quality to the condition of the surrounding community. And none of them are perfect, obviously, and they, they all go through different impacts, um, but whether it's urbanization or, a, or an industrial core, things like that. Um, but we want those to essentially have um, a comparable quality restoration of recreational use which is is a, you know a, a regulatory term and it's not an easy one to get to um, but basically we don't want you to fear putting your toe in the creek or pulling a, a, a bass out of the creek and wondering too much if you should eat it those are there's again a lot of things that are beyond our control for a variety of reasons but preservation of terrestrial habitats to the extent possible and or incorporation into long-term planning to where you have buffers and greenways and things like that. Uh, litter reduction is a big thing that I know it's a very visible thing and that can either be a floatable litter or on your street and sidewalk and so I know that the mayor's office is very uh, focused on that as well. Um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to entail a variety of strategies um, uh, and also, I think, again, going back to the education and awareness, uh, building up sort of your, your uh, civilian uh, uh, team of people who observe and advocate for those things and can bring projects and resources to help restore as much of that as possible. And then the last goal, Chattanooga will be a leader in the green economy. Can you just talk about what is the green economy? What is, um, what's the intent there? How, how encompassing is that? And is there a, a strict definition of what the green economy is? Or is it something that's still 
developing as this plan moves forward? Yeah, I think, I mean, we see some of it already, um, obviously with Volkswagen uh, um, uh, developing the ID4, that's a, that's a real nice, easy one to point to. Uh, I fix it as, as another one. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for it because I know there's uh, a lot of folks out there with businesses that with a focus on that um, greens paint supply, you know, looking at different uh, uh, options for your home that are, that are better for your indoor health. Um, uh, there's any array of, of companies that provide lighting and electrical work. Those folks are, we have everyday contractors or vendors here in Chattanooga that have helped put solar on our roofs that hadn't done that work before and are doing it now. Um, so creating opportunities there, um, you know, the waste piece is going to be a big piece of it. Um, we have, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, compost companies that are, are setting up shop and, and or have been here, family businesses that have been here, um, and they are, they can help on the, on the food waste side of things. Um, you know, again, we have, we have Amnicole, Ohio, we have a variety of industrial uh, opportunity here. Um, so it would, I, I, to answer your question, uh, again, a lot of it's in development, hasn't been there before. Um, but I think that um, the cities across America, if, if 70% of the populations, um, I think it's a global statistic, but certainly in America, are anticipated to dwell in city environments by 2050, that just put, brings everything to a laser focus. So all those pressures on natural resources, all those uh, additional uh, built environment considerations uh, are all there, uh, the amount of wastewater that we'll need to treat. And that's a big reason, not just to fix what needed to be fixed before, but plan for the future. Um, um, so we, we want, um, I, I think it's a green economy obviously can also include the tourism industry. We want that to r remain vibrant and expand. Um, there is uh, also going back to the built environment, um, you know, just absolutely no shortage of aging housing stock that needs energy efficiency retrofits. Um, green Spaces has a fantastic program called Build It Green uh, and taking, uh, giving opportunities uh, for folks that are either at risk or just um, have, uh, don't have the traditional background for uh, various, you know, skilled labor positions and they uh, educate and train and connect with job opportunities for energy efficiency improvements and, and, and low-income homes. So there's an entire uh, industry that can kind of be built out. And, and as far as I understand, um, part of what the county is also doing with the, with the Construction Workforce Center is, is upskilling, you know, large amounts of our, our community to be able to handle those challenges that we have. And so I think it can look like a lot of different things, um, and we want to bring as many good, high-quality, good-paying jobs to Chattanooga as possible, and that just goes back to understanding that all of that is tied back to this long-term sustainability and quality of life that we have. Awesome. Well, is, is there anything else that you want to highlight about this plan? Before we wrap up, um, I just I hope people give it an open-minded uh, look. Uh, I hope they think about ways that they can uh, get involved. Um, it's not it doesn't always have to be through the city. Certainly, there's so much that just um, whether it's through uh, collective demand for different products or different uh, uh, city resources um, in the in the built environment. 
um, uh, the, the natural environment, um, being an advocate for these kinds of things, um, but just knowing that this is a this is a long haul approach, and this this plan will also be revised and updated as needed as we find and we do checkpoints along the way and say hey we're moving faster along this section than we thought we were we need to ramp this up we're gonna we're gonna revise those tactics but um this it's the intent is to not be a flash in the pan this is this is really meant to be a long-term um uh integration of this of this work into how we do things here uh, and just to elevate that so hope people give it a read hope they um uh, if they don't see something in there that they they want, then then know that it can probably either fit under one of the strategies, uh, uh, and or you know come out, get involved, look for ways, and we'll we'll continue to. We've updated. Um, I can't remember the URL right off the top of my head, but in the city planning department on the city's website, you can go find. Um, the plan, there's some FAQs on there. Um, uh, the, the mayor's office put up a great video um, to get a little bit more educated about it and look for checkups. But we're gonna basically, as we go into this, we'll have, uh, through the Innovation Delivery and Performance Department, have uh, some uh, data dashboards that will be available once we get into the more uh, consistent reporting uh, mm -hmm. uh, routine. So uh, just stay up, stay tuned for more updates and um, hope everybody gives it a, a look. Great, well thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you Nathan, really appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.